everybody. Waving from, this is uh, the Zen Garden in Portland, Oregon. I'm not there right now, um, but I'm not any place particularly. So uh, I thought I'd greet you from the, this beautiful Japanese garden. Uh, Andrew asked me to lead the session today. Um, I, I thought that uh, we could start with a little bit of practice. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Tong Len, which I think is a particularly important practice for us to be doing, especially at, at this time. Um, I think things have been uh, things have been a bit challenging in that uh, we all were kind of expecting the uh, things to moderate what was going on with the. Uh, um, with the COVID stuff, uh, and it's actually flared up again. So it, it just brings a lot of questions. This morning, uh, my wife said, is this a nightmare? I feel like this is a nightmare that it's, uh, I, I'm just waiting to wake up from. Um, and, and it feels that way a lot. Uh, I've had, I don't know about anybody else, I've had my share of COVID dreams. Uh, I think this morning I, I dreamt that I, I have a little, uh, a, a little package of uh, disinfectant wipes that I carry with me uh, that I accidentally left it open and it all dried out. And uh, two nights ago, I, I, was, I, was, I got onto a bus and I sat down and looked around and realized every, no one had a mask on and that I didn't have mine on and I needed to put it on. So, so COVID dreams, there's actually been a study by a Harvard professor that she's collecting all these COVID dreams. So it's kind of pervaded our consciousness a little bit. Um, so I thought to start with, we would do a little bit of mindfulness practice, a little bit of grounding and settling, uh, as Andrew has led us in, a little bit of Tonglen, and, and then I had a, a couple of thoughts. Uh, I'd had a couple of questions about emptiness that came up uh, in my mindfulness sessions. I do a free Zoom mindfulness session every, every other Friday, not tomorrow, but a week from Friday and, and so on. Um, just going through a basic introduction to the practice and, and doing some of the practice. Um, but today, as, as Andrew's uh, habit, I'll, I'll start with a little bit of stuff and then uh, we can talk about things and whatever anybody wants to bring up. I loved what, when Andrew said uh, he loves these sessions because he doesn't have to prepare anything. He just, just riffs whatever's on his mind. Um, I did a little bit of preparation, but then, then we'll let it go from there. So to start with, uh, take your good posture that you use for your sitting meditation. And um, I actually wanted to start with a, a, a version of what's called the four immeasurables. In, in Buddhism, the four immeasurable minds uh, are um, wishing to be free from suffering, uh, wishing for happiness, freedom from suffering, um, access to the great bliss of uh, wakefulness, and 
uh, equanimity. So um, Winnie the Pooh has his version here I'm go going to share with everybody. And so I'll read it and you can recite it to yourself after each line if you would like. I'll leave the space for that. But we'll use this as our, our basic aspiration. May all and every one of us have happiness. May all, uh, I'll leave some space, sorry. May all and every one of us have happiness. May all and every one of us be free from suffering. May all and every one of us have safety and peace. May all and every one of us give and receive love. So that, that's our aspiration for ourselves and others. Uh, I find it interesting so when people recite this, they say, I only have a hard time with the last one. I don't necessarily feel like I'm worthy of receiving love. And, and I think that's worth an interesting one that's worth looking into because we all have Buddha nature or the nature of inherent wakefulness in us. So that's our aspiration. And, and let's start in this practice, take a good posture, sitting up regally like a king or queen. And then let everything, let your eyes gently close. And without losing your posture, just let everything settle. Feel like your spine and up through the back of your head is like a tent pole. And everything, every other part of your body is like the canvas hanging from the tent before it's pulled out. Hanging from the tent pole before it's pulled out into a tent. Feel your body, tune in, inhabit your body with full presence. You can explore from the top of the head down or from your feet up, whichever you prefer. But just kind of feel fully inhabited in your body, fully present in your body. Notice if there are any places of tension. We'll go through a few of them. Let, let it soften. And if it's a bit stubborn, you can use something called uh, progressive relaxation to intensify and release. So for example, if you feel any tension in your jaw, clench your jaw for a second or two and then ah, let go. Clench your shoulders for a second or two and then let them drop. Your deep belly, tighten it, tighten your core and then relax. Those are three places where you really gather tension and aren't even aware of it sometimes. We usually think of our minds as being up in our heads, behind our forehead. Just let your mind fall back and down, back into the back base of your skull like you were falling back into a big soft easy chair or sofa. And then let it settle slowly down down the back of your throat, back of your chest, behind your heart, behind your solar plexus, 
feet down into the core of your torso, a few inches below the navel, just in front of your spine. It's quiet down there. You can feel your lower torso moving in and out as you breathe, like gentle eddies at the bottom of the pond. Let yourself sink down and feel like you're part of the earth. It's almost as if you're merged with the earth, but extending upward majestically like a mountain. Let your breath come and go like the wind. Let your mind be open to whatever happens, like the sky that overlooks everything happening on the earth. Body like a mountain, breath like the wind, mind like the sky. Let your eyes gently open. And now we're going to do, we'll take a few breaths. Andrew calls it his one breath meditation, but we'll just do a few breaths. Filling as we breathe in, emptying as we breathe out. And as the breath goes out, open to the space that you're in. First breath, open to the space that you're sitting in. Second breath, open to the space around you, in your house, or the area that you're sitting in. And now, the third breath, open to the space all the way out to the sky in all directions. Mind as big as the sky. Now you can either leave your eyes open or gently close them, it's up to you. And we'll do a little tongue Len practice. And for people who aren't familiar with this, it's easier if you imagine in your heart center, that's in the center of your chest, at the level of your heart. Tilt it down a little bit there. Center of your chest, the level of your heart. A beautiful, clear crystal made of light. Any, any shape that you want. And that crystal has transformative powers that when you breathe negativity into the crystal, it magically transforms them into positive energy. So begin with yourself and any negative things that you're feeling about yourself, anger, frustration, blame, guilt, shame, any negative emotions that you wish you didn't have, anything you wish you weren't experiencing in that negative way right now, with, as you breathe in, imagine that they're all gathered into that crystal in your heart. It transforms. And as you breathe out, the crystal radiates out cool moonlight of kindness that fills you with peace and happiness. Breathe in and gather the negativity into the crystal at your heart center. Breathe out and radiate to all parts of your being. Cool moonlight of kindness that leaves you filled with peace and happiness. We'll do that for two or three more breaths.
And now you can either keep your eyes closed or open them and imagine that around you are all your loved ones, friends and family. And as you breathe in, you gather from all of them any negativity they're feeling about themselves, any struggle or suffering. And you gather that into the crystal in your heart. As you breathe out, it, radiate, it has transformed them and radiates out the cool moonlight of kindness, filling all of your friends and family with peace and happiness. Gather in and take from them their struggle and suffering. It transforms and radiate out to them peace and happiness. Do that for a couple of breaths. And then expand the circle to everyone that you've ever met. People you like, people you don't have particular feelings about, people you have difficulty with. And from all of them gather in whatever they're going through of suffering and struggle. It transforms in the crystal in your heart center and radiate out to all of them the cool moonlight of kindness that fills them with peace and happiness. And then as best you can, expand that circle to include all beings, all creatures, large and small. All of them as the Dalai Lama has said, all of them want to be free from suffering. All of them want the happiness. So as you breathe in, gather all the suffering and unhappiness and struggle in the, in the universe into the crystal in your heart. It transforms and radiate out in all directions. The cool moonlight of kindness that fills all beings with peace and happiness. And now let go of the visualization. And we'll take three simple breaths of mindfulness. Three, two, one. And hold in your heart the wish that whatever benefit that comes from this practice, you share it with others. Okay. So, if you have any questions or comments, thoughts about Tong Len practice, uh, how are we doing this, Andy? They're raising their hands. Yeah, or uh, you could raise your hands or type your comments or questions in the chat section, then I can read them. Oh, and, and one thing in the chat, um, I'm going to type in the, my actual email address. That was close. It's not Andy's fault. I just told it to him just before we started.
Let me know when you're ready to start taking some questions. Because I see you. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Are you ready? Almost. Okay. There we go. Okay. All right. Well, the first hand raised is Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Jerry, you will have the audio. Oh. Okay. Hi, it's Maureen. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, my question is, how would you talk about Tonglin in comparison to like the Brahma Viharas or Metta? The difference I'm seeing is it taking in the suffering as opposed to just extending the loving kindness or the compassion or whatever. Right. And, and that's correct. I, I had read Winnie the Pooh's versions of the four Brahma Viharas, <laughs> right? May all beings have happiness and the root of happiness be free from suffering and the root of suffering. May they enjoy the great happiness free from suffering and may they enjoy, have equanimity free from passion, aggression, and prejudice. Right, Jerry? Right. Yeah. The four, four Brahma Viharas? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and metta is, uh, is the Pali word. Uh, Maitri is the Sanskrit word. Some people are more familiar with that, but, but both are the same thing. And it means loving kindness. Um, and in general, it is, as you said, um, radiating loving kindness to yourself and others. And, and the, uh, when we were taught Maitri or Metta by uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, he always did start with making Maitri, he, he translated as making friends with yourself. Right. <laughs> so that was the loving kindness. And you start with that. And at, once you have made friends with yourself, then you can do the Tonglen practice. Um, but it has the quality of Maitri that that's why you start with yourself. Uh, and, and the slogan is um, practice uh, taking and sending and uh, alternate it with the breathing. And you begin with yourself. So you, the, the first thing that I did of breathing in your negativity into the, in your heart center and radiating out loving kindness to yourself. That's the, that's the tongue, that's tongue lend for yourself. And then gathering it in for others. Now, the, the prerequisite for doing Tong Len is it is a Mahayana practice in which you have already had some glimpse of egolessness from the Hinayana and a, a hit of Shunyata, at least a hit of it from in the Mahayana. And that's why, in general, when you do the practice and the very start of the practice is opening your mind and flashing on emptiness or ultimate openness. And from there, you do the practice. Otherwise, if you have any ego involved, you can feel like, oh my God, the weight of the world, I'm bringing all this negativity and I can't handle it. But there's no I to handle it from that point of view. So that's why I use this crystal made of light 
so that for people who have not um, engaged in the Mahayana practice and work with egolessness and shunyata, at least this way it doesn't land on you. And you don't misunderstand and think that you are actually gathering this in and, and that you have to, have to deal with it somehow. Now, supposedly the great masters actually could take things on themselves uh, and would do so as a demonstration. But that's not really how we were taught to practice. Any, anything further on that? Well, that's, no, that's clear. Yeah, that, that was Maureen, not Jerry. That's good. Yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> Change your names on. Yeah, it's better. Okay. Thank you, Maureen. Okay, thank you. There's um, a chat question that came from David. What well, is the right, David Wimberly? Mm -hmm. Hi, David. Um, what is the relationship of Tonglin to the focus of this group in terms of dream work? And do you have anything to add beyond the rise in dreams of anxiety? Uh, let's see. Tonglen in terms of dream work. Okay. Well, as Andrew has said, the stages of dream yoga begin with lucid dreaming of recognition. And uh, in his book, he talks about this, uh, and it's also in the first part of the liturgy of dream yoga. You start with, with by saying, I will have, or the aspiration and the strong intention to have lots of dreams. So first is, I'll have a lot of dreams. May I have a lot of dreams. Uh, second is, made, I have a lot of good dreams. <laughs> Third is, may I, in the traditional language, they actually translate it as, may I catch the dreams. In other words, may I become lucid in my dreams. May I recognize that I'm dreaming while I'm, that I know that I'm dreaming while I'm dreaming. And the fourth is, may I train in my dreams? And there are different stages of training, but ultimately it is, may I practice in my dreams? So Tonglen would be something that you could practice in your dreams. And, and the interesting thing Andrew talks about in his book, and, and he talks about as uh, um, predisposition or pre-karma, and that is, what you dwell upon in your mind as you're falling asleep is what you're likely to reconnect with in sleep. In the same way as in the bardo, you know, the last thing you're thinking about as you're dying is what you're likely to re-encounter in, in the bardo. So if you, uh, and actually I just did this last night, of doing Tonglen as your last practice before you're falling asleep. And then there's a likelihood that you'll remember if you catch a lucid dream that you could actually practice Tonglen in your dream. You can practice Shamatha in your dream. You can practice Tonglen in your dream. You can practice whatever, you know, uh, Yidam practice, whatever practices you do on your path to enlightenment, the idea is that the, you're not hindered by a body 
when you're doing them in your dream. So you can actually accomplish much more by practicing in that way. I hope that I hope that's helpful. And then um, anything add to beyond the rise in dreams of anxiety. Well, again, um, when you have these anxiety provoking dreams, that's an opportunity to how do you work with anxiety in what we call the, this everyday dream, right? I mean, this is a dream too. There's daytime dream and nighttime dream. But so whatever practice we're doing, we can do that in nighttime dream as well. The, the, the ultimate purpose is to be able to do it while we're in this so-called waking dream until we are completely awake. Anything further, David? I don't know if you're writing or talking or... Okay. Originally is a writing comment, so... Okay. Well, let's go on and we'll go back to David. And thank you, Rebecca. She said she liked the cool moonlight of kindness. Me too. Dream catchers as lucid dreamers. Oh, that, that's interesting. I think we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? The dream catchers. That the, that the original Native American, hang on a second. One of these gadgets, right? The dream catcher. Um, I think someone did some research and said that they're basically to protect you and catch bad dreams that are coming in. But um, whatever works. Well, Courtney has her hand raised, so oh, good. let's call on Courtney. Hey, Joe. Hi. So, Courtney, that's an interesting last name, someone. Yeah, I try to be anonymous for various social media stuff. And I don't blame I you. I don't blame you. My last name isn't parent. I just have a parental kind of tone. So, no, I'm joking. It, 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 <laughs> it fits. <laughs> um, so my question is on breathing and I'm asking anyone and everyone this question and I have been for years. Anytime the meditation requires attention on the breath, it becomes a project. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I notice one time we flip between 100% on the breath and then just completely open. And then that obsession of controlling my breath went away. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. That, I, I don't know how to work with that. Okay. Uh, I have a couple of comments on that. Um, one is that it's very, very common what you're experiencing. It's very common. Because if somebody says, just breathe naturally, 
<laughs> you know, I, I don't know how to do that. See, you see there, what, what they're doing is giving you an instruction that is a, um, it's a state rather than an, uh, a, a task. In other words, that would be like me saying, on the count of three, I want you to be spontaneous. Well, you, you, you can't do that. See, spontaneity is a state where being, you know, doing something is the opposite of that state. It's like saying, now I want you to relax. Well, that makes you uptight because you don't know how. You say, just breathe naturally and you get, you get uptight because you don't know how. It's not something that you have to do. So let me ask you a question, Courtney. Um, did you have breakfast this morning? Yeah. Okay. Did you breathe the whole time? Yep. Uh, okay. Whenever I pay attention to it, though, it's like... Breathing naturally? Uh, that's questionable. Were you trying to breathe a particular way? Yeah, there was no thought about it, and it was happening. Which means you were... That's what breathing naturally means, that you're not thinking about it, and you're not trying to do it a particular way. Now, what, what we say is shift your frame of reference from being a director to an observer and just notice how you're breathing. I think here, here's my challenge is um, having anxiety for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. They originally taught, you know, push it away and work with your breath. Right. And then I notice I always breathe in my upper lungs and I have a lot of lung issues. Mm -hmm. And it's never belly breathing. It's never relaxed. I don't relax. I, I understand. And, and so... Um, I think what you're saying is just allow it to be that breathing up here and just, observe it. The idea is just observe it and notice what it is. And then you say, okay, uh, but, but for you... Because the breathing is a source of tension, and, and I just want to I just want to share with you, when I was doing the um, some some of this practice when I first started, this happened to me, and I found that just by paying to the attention to the breath, I was feeling short of breath, and I had to yeah. gasp, and and it was it was like too heavy attention on the breath. It's the idea that there's a light touch. And so that you're noticing it among everything else, rather than it being the be all and end all. But for you, I think the mo it, it, it's better to say, I don't need to do that. And instead, be aware of, uh, just notice different aspects of your body and notice, oh, how tight is my stomach? And don't try to relax it, just notice it. And notice, okay, so right now I'm, yeah, I'm at about a, I'm about a seven on the tension level. Okay, well that's how it is. And now what I wanna do is tune into, and instead of breath coming in, just focus on the breath goes out. 
and let go of it. When you let go of it, let your eyes, and this is the environmental awareness practice, um, the, and, and let your eyes open up to your widest peripheral vision without focusing on anything particular, your awareness can move around that field of vision and just notice colors, shapes, and shades of light and dark. And th this is kind of sense perception meditation. Notice what you're hearing. Notice what your body's feeling. Notice the parade of thoughts going by. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Now, if you find yourself in the parade, <laughs> then you, you go, oh, okay, distraction smile. I just heard somebody say, give yourself a wink. You know, ah, there you go again. Um, and have a sense of humor about it. And then tune back in. And, and in this kind of practice, the only relation to the breath that you have is that as your breath goes out, you ride it out. And as it dissolves into the atmosphere, your mind opens up into the environment. And that's the practice you can do. So you you don't have to fight to do it a particular way. Now, part of the tension that you're experiencing is the anxiety about getting it right. Just a hunch. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit, little bit of perfectionism. Just a, just a, just a, <laughs> just a right. Okay. So, so the idea is to be more an observer than a director. Don't try to make it come out a particular way. And just notice. And you may find that, you know what, if I, if I just, I wonder is, is how far down is my breath going? Oh, okay. Down to here, down to here, down to here. And just notice without judgment. The whole point is you are, there's a lot of judgment, a lot of anxiety about doing it right a lot of anxiety about how it could go wrong. And it's the worrying about how things can go wrong that tightens everything up. Andrew's talked about it as contraction, right? right? So there's a tremendous amount of contraction, but it sounds like for you, the letting go and just having environmental and spacious open awareness, let's go of that contraction a little bit. Make sure yeah, it, it diffuses the, the laser like focus yeah, on. Exactly. The idea is soft gaze, open, open vision. So work with all that. Helps. Thank you. Don't work with that for a little bit. Play with that a little bit, please. Right. Notice your language. Language has a lot to do with it. I'm going to work on that. Immediately, you make a fist. I'm going to work on that. Right. That's contraction, tightening. I'm going to play with that. I'm going to see where it goes. You know, um, someone asked me, uh, when, I, when I teach golf, one of the issues that people have is that as they get closer to the hole and, and they're putting, they get completely uptight. And I said, the, the, your job is to just get things started and then see what happens, rather than your job is to make it come out the way you need it to. And that's a huge thing in our lives. The need for things to come out a particular way creates tremendous contraction. The attitude of, I will do my best and see how they come out, 
creates tremendous relaxation. So, so relaxation, awareness of breathing, breathing naturally, all of those things are states of being that you need to let go of what's in the way and then they happen naturally. It's really about getting out of your own way rather than trying to grasp onto it. Grasping on is contraction. Open your hand. Put it in the palm of your hand. You can't see put it in the palm of your hand if your hand's a fist. Yeah, open love that. Hand. Open your hand and you leave room for Buddha to appear. I see we have some chat conversations going on. That's fun. I don't get to read them. You have no messages. What? Oh, Siri thought I was talking to her. Excuse me. Okay, what's next, Andy? Um, let's go to Peter next. He has his hand raised, and then uh, we'll go back to the chat because there are some questions that have come in and follow-ups. Okay. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Peter. Thank you very much for doing this. Oh, my, it's truly my pleasure. I'm not making that up. Thank you. Um, I'm I was interested in, in your remarks regarding Tong Len and your uh, sort of helping us, you know, sort of guiding us in it. Uh, I have a question though regarding karma. And I know from things I've read and uh, I, I, don't, I don't even do lucid. I mean, I, I'm an aspirant for doing lucid dreaming, uh, not to mention dream yoga. But uh, what I wanted to know was regarding the accumulation of karma, just looking at a lucid dream, for example, if I'm doing Tonglen, I'm trying to do Tonglen or even Shamatha meditation within the dream, uh, is there karma uh, that, that is automatically accumulating or is it only when you're at the stage of dream yoga that you're not accumulating karma? Can you explain a little bit about the accumulation of karma depending on the kind of dream you're, or the kind of dream level you're at? Well, thank you. I'm glad you asked an easy question. That's, that's good. <laughs> um, I think the Buddha said uh, only, only fully realized Buddhas have, can understand karma. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. Uh, the idea is that um, when, you're, when you're doing practice like that, instead of the notion of accumulating karma, we talk about accumulation, accumulating merit which is kind of like saying generating good karma. A, a very, um, I don't want to, uh, let me say crude, but very, very elementary level of karma. You could say is, well, you know, when you do good, you accumulate good karma and good things happen to you. When you do badly, you accumulate bad things you accumulate bad karma and eventually bad things happen to you. So um, doing Dharma practice is obviously gen uh, something that generates, accumulates merit. In other words, a lot of good karma. Now the idea is you're doing that so that you don't have situations in your life that are obstacles to your path to enlightenment. But then, the, the only purpose of doing of creating good karma from the dharmic point of view is to facilitate 
your practice towards enlightenment. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay, so um, engaging in negative, you know, and indulging in negative emotions creates a negative karma that interferes and creates obstacles in your practice. So that's really what we're talking about. So um, whether you're practicing in this waking dream or practicing in, in lucid dreaming, you're creating, you're accumulating merit, which allows you to then facilitate your practice and attain towards attaining enlightenment. Okay, so, um, but ideally we want to be in the state of wakefulness in which we're not generating karma one way or the other. But that's, that's, being, that's being a Buddha in those moments. Understood? Yeah. Well, now the I... interesting thing is, the, I want to tell you a little story that the Buddha taught. And what the Buddha taught, he was teaching these, this farmer and his wife came in and said, so um, we want good things to happen to us. What should we do? And he gave them things that were meritorious, that would be, create good karma so that they could be happier in their lives. And, uh, and he taught them mindfulness practice and generosity and all of the virtues. And when he left, Ananda said, Buddha, you just, you just told us, you know, ordinary mundane karma for good, to get good things and, and be happier in this life is not really the point. It's to attain enlightenment. And he said, well, that's true. But let me ask you a question. If there were some kids playing in a house, some children playing in a house, and the house is on fire, and they didn't know it, would it be wrong to tell them that there were toys outside, nice toys for them to play with, to get them to leave the house? And Ananda said, no, no, it, it wouldn't be wrong, even if you didn't have any toys, it wouldn't be wrong to tell them that, just to get them out of the house that's on fire. And he said, well, then how much better is it to have them do things that, then, then how much better would it be for the children if they left the house and found that not only were there toys, there was a pony and a circus outside and all sorts of good stuff. And he said, so, so getting them started on the Dharma path, even if they think it's for their own temporary happiness, moves them in the direction and, and the path unfolds by itself to lead them to enlightenment. So the idea of karma is step by step in that way that we start with karma regarding our own level. And as we progress along the path, the karma becomes more refined to the point where, uh, as they said, um, the metaphor is, well, first you have uh, all this this gunk in this this nice bottle and you you pour it out but then there's still some aroma left and you wash it out but ultimately you break the bottle so gradually we get more and more refined egolessness shunyata and then vajra nature and enlightenment
Yeah, I'm wondering if uh, it, it's great. I, I'm getting a sense of this, but I was wondering, could we think of this um, karma matter, like in terms of, like I've I've heard stories, you know, Dharma stories about um, with wealth, using wealth as an example. Like mm -hmm. if the person is wanting to accumulate great wealth, and then ultimately learns that it's actually not wanting the wealth which is the liberating thing to be free of that desire for more wealth could could that be comparable to like what's happening in the dream in terms of karma like you you, you want to arrive at a place where it's not even like so important to measure something uh, as to whether i'm getting karma good karma for this or no karma yes yeah it, it, that's exactly right that's what i'm saying at the beginning you're, you, you're saying, how's my bank account? How's my karmic bank account? Geez, I, you know, all these good things happened to me, so I may have used up some of that good karma. I better admit it, I better do some good things to build up my bank account. <laughs> and that's a very crude level that, that we're talking about. Um, and, and ultimately, the idea is that um, we, we, you know, you go right back to the Four Noble Truths and the source of suffering is ignorance that gives rise to the three poisons of desire and hatred and um, confusion or active ignorance. But ultimately, ultimately, it's an ignorance as to how things actually are. So as long as your karma is based on an illusion about you know, that you're talking about is based on an illusory quality. That's all you can accomplish up to the level of your uh, freedom from illusion. Mm -hmm. So, so last, last question, if I'm uh, pra practicing or trying to do, uh, you know, lucid dreaming and, and then dream yoga, um, um, should I be like focused on the idea I want to do this, but I'm not interested in the in, in acquiring better karma, uh, or should I not even think about the karma aspect of it? You're personally thinking like how, how to be simple about this. It's very simple. The purpose in the Mahayana, the purpose of a bodhisattva. Hmm. You know that term? Yes. Okay. Is to attain enlightenment for the benefit of others period that's it if you're doing it for yourself not such a good idea mm. if you're doing it for yourself in order to be better at helping others yeah fine. so it's really like a matter of uh, your motivation you exactly. look at and, and every teaching that i've ever been to by trunga rinpoche one of my great, wonderful teachers, starts with establishing pure motivation. That I'm not doing this for myself, but I'm doing it for the benefit of others. Okay, great. That really clears it up for, for me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for making that last one easier. <laughs> what else do we have, Andy? Yeah, I have some uh, chat questions. Mm -hmm. so I'll start with this one from iPhone. 
Um, I'm wondering how important is it to have a living guru in terms of our spiritual growth? The question is in context with this rising movement that community can be a teacher or guru. Hmm. Uh, that's an, that is an interesting question. As my teacher, when I first started teaching, admonished me to say, I, I don't know. I don't know from my personal experience. I had the good fortune of having living teachers who um, the main ones have passed on, passed into part nirvana. Um, Chonga Rinpoche, Pundla Rinpoche, I consider them um, my, my living, living teachers. Uh, having an individual rather than a community is an interesting question. And I really don't know the answer uh, because if you, uh, if you take the refuge formula and take refuge in the Buddha as example, the Dharma as path, and the Sangha as community of practitioners of the, the, that's a, a support for the practice, a reference point for the practice. Um, that that doesn't include the notion of guru and the Vajrayana guru. So I really think that that's a question of if you're part of, if you're practicing in the Vajrayana, um, that's, that's where usually, in my experience, they've talked about it's important to have a reference point that you regard as the embodiment of Buddhahood. How you take that is an interesting question. But then we go to something called the four reliances, in which you don't rely on the personality. You don't rely on the personality. And, and that's really important. So in relating to an individual, if you get caught up in a personality cult, that's, an issue, that's not the appropriate thing that we're talking about. And ultimately, the ultimate guru is your own Buddha nature, your own inherent wisdom. The challenge is um, like, like tasting our own tongue or seeing our own eyeballs, it's kind of hard <laughs> to see without a reflection, without a reflection from that reference point. So that's really all I'm comfortable saying about it. I think that it, it, it would be good to um, talk with a uh, experienced Vajrayana master that you have a relationship with that you might think, you know, I wanna, I, I wanna find out if I can go further on this path. But it's the Vajrayana path. The Mahayana does not talk about it that way. Does not talk about a guru. Getting some heavy stuff right off. That's good. <laughs> Let's go for it. I will do my best. But as I said, uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. And, and I want to make sure I don't mi create a misunderstanding. What's next? All right. The next question is from Sarah. She's in the chat. I'm having different types of lucidity in my dreams. Sometimes I'm witnessing the dream, yet at the same time, I'm a separate character that is lucid and able to talk to another character. 
and ask them what they represent. Do you think this is due to the way I do mindfulness meditation, witnessing the breath? Does how you meditate affect the way you become lucid? Oh, that, this is really easy. I have no idea. I really don't know that. Now, as far as witnessing the dream, yet at the same time, a separate character that's lucid, all sorts of variations happen. In fact, I was just telling Andrew the other day, um, I had a dream in which I saw something happening and I, and I, and I thought, ooh, this is the same as in the dream I had earlier this evening. So I remembered a dream within a dream, but I don't know that I was lucid and realized I was dreaming in that dream. So we got, you got all sorts of different varieties of your role in the dream. Uh, you might be witnessing, you might be a character, you might be someone else, like a character in a from a movie that you saw in the dream and you're both yourself and that character. And then suddenly there's two of you. I mean, all sorts of things happen. And that's part of the thing that when you become lucid, that you can become an agent and you can say, I'm gonna be 10 of me and you can reproduce yourself. I'm gonna be a thousand of me and then droop back into one. So there are all sorts of things. There's, that's the whole point of dream. It's, there's no limit. You, you don't have the physical limitations of a physical body. Um, whether it has to do with how you do mindfulness meditation, truly, I, I have no idea um, how those two are connected. And, and I would save that for next week. Andrew may have something on that. But I've never, I've never heard about when you say witnessing the breath, and if you're witnessing as, as opposed to, I'm over here and the breath's over there, if maybe that's what you mean of this kind of sense of separation. Um, it could be anything, but let's, let's save that one for Andrew. That's a good one. Sorry. Right. Um, this question's from Gretchen. Is it possible to drop the quote I in your mental notation and simply watch the rest of the thought or transfer all the attention to the body away from the mind? Well, let me find this one. Where are we? Look drop, around the one. Drop the eye in your mental notation. Okay, so Gretchen, can you unmute? I need a little clarification here. Are you there? Maybe she can't. No, she won't be able to unmute. She'd uh, have to raise her hand. Oh, I don't I want to put anyone on the spot. I see. I, yes, I understand. Okay. Um, if she wants to raise her hand, but drop the I in your mental notation. And I, I'm not sure what you mean by mental notation. If you're, if you're thinking, I'm thinking, um, watch the rest of the thought. Yeah, I, I just don't understand the question. Transfer all the attention of the body away from the mind. Yes, absolutely. Well, when you say all the attention, where, where does your attention go? Okay, so our, um, the metaphor in the tradition 
for perceptions, for what we are perceiving, what we are aware of, is like a monkey in a room with six windows. And it can only look out one window primarily at a time. There's still light coming in through the other windows, but that one window becomes the foreground. So if you are tu tuned into sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, those are five of the windows. The sixth window is thought. It's mental perception. You perceive your thoughts. Now, if you are preoccupied with your thoughts, they take the foreground, everything else goes to the background. That's why we call daydreaming. You know, if you're in a class and listening to a lecture and you daydream, your ears are hearing the sound, but your brain did not register anything that the guy said or the woman said, okay? So what you, what you want to be aware of is that the foreground of whatever you're paying attention to. So when you say transfer all the attention to the body away from the mind, not away from the mind, away from thoughts. You see, the mind is the container. You have thoughts, but you are not your thoughts. Thoughts are a parade going by in the mind. Sights are a parade going by in the mind. Sounds, physical sensations, smells, tastes. They're all contents of the mind that are arising in that, in that shapeless, formless, sizeless container. But they're appearing. And so whatever sense perception you're focused on, if you put your attention on the body, then all the thoughts go, the stream of thoughts go to the background. In the same way that what you're hearing and seeing go to the background. If you're tuned into what you're seeing, all the other sense perceptions go to the background. If you're preoccupied with what you're thinking, you miss everything else that's going on. So, so that's the thing. Now, when you talk about dropping the eye in your mental notation and simply watching the parade, yeah, you can notice that was a thought. One of the thoughts may be, you know, I'm hungry, but it's a thought and you see it come and you see it go. So there may still be an I, but you're, you're observing rather than caught up in and in the parade. I hope that answers the question. So there's some interesting conversations going on. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them later. But in the meantime, let's keep going with the questions. Okay, great. Uh, this is um, from David. and um, I believe it's in a follow-up to the initial conversation. Yes. Having. So in relation to the comment about great masters literally taking on the suffering of others, in the mid-70s, Choyum Chungpa asked the people to stop coming to him asking him to do that for them, uh, specifically in relation to pregnant people asking him about them getting an abortion. He said doing that was shortening his life. This was told to me by someone who had just asked him for that earlier the very day. He said it was their decision and their karma. Well, that's interesting. Um, I cannot imagine Trump Rinpoche <clears throat> telling someone, accusing someone that, of saying, or, or blaming them, saying that if you do that, it's shortening my life. I've only heard him say, if you, you know, the more you practice, 
the, the, it's lengthening my life. But I've never heard him. I've never heard of him saying saying that. Um, I I have been in situations where a teacher was asked things, and I, I observed it, and and uh, and they they. Um, chose to let the student make the decision and make their karma. Uh, I do remember asking Trungpa Rinpoche um, whether I should marry somebody and he told me no. It was pretty, pretty shocking. I thought he was going to say, well, it's up to you, you know, um, but he didn't. So I think that it's a situational thing. Um, in a certain way, by saying, by telling someone what to do, you are sharing in or taking on the karma of the situation because you're making something happen. Uh, that's not what I was referring to in the Tonglen. The, they were actually taking on the suffering and um, the story that I remember is um, some, some guy in the street was kicking a dog in the ribs and the teacher did Tonglen and he went, oh, and he, and he lifted up his shirt and there was a bruise on his ribs. Uh, again, that's legendary, but, but that's what I was referring to, not a teacher taking on the karma of his students, although it, it is an interesting issue. And Anisha wrote, Trungpa Rinpoche mentions this in the Taming the Mind book that he's taken the blame thousands of times. See, that's, that's different. Taking the blame thousands of times is the practice of driving all blames into oneself that way. But it's very, you know, it's, it's very pragmatic. And I teach this when I do business consulting. If you're in an argument with someone, and both of you say, your fault, your fault, your fault. The, the, just the obstacles just get higher and higher and higher. So you start by saying, I may not have the whole picture here. You see, so you take responsibility for a partial view. I might be overly, <laughs> Trungpa Rinpoche gave the example. He said, I might be overly sensitive, but the water downstream from your factory where you're dumping chemicals seems kind of bad. But he started it with, I may be overly sensitive. You see, so you always start by diffuse, defusing, not diffusing, D-E-F-U-S-I-N-G, defusing the situation. You know, de-escalating the situation so that, so that there is a way to communicate. That's what he meant by I've taken the blame thousands of times. And just saying, by doing that, creating an environment of wakefulness. Next. All right, well, I see David has his hand raised. So uh, let's call on David and there he has to say. One more piece. Um, I'll just make this uh, brief. Uh, 
Joe, the, the person who, who told me had just been um, at that kind of interview with Trunk Rinpoche, and he said he would take on that karma for her uh, because she was basically trying to uh, have an abortion but, but not have any karma for it. Um, but she was not a very advanced student, so I, it could be very likely that she just got almost the how to get out of the fire, the fiery house part of it and nothing more uh, deep, but she was quite shaken by uh, both the relief of Trunkman's answer that he would do that for her, but also the fact that it was um, sh shortening his life that he said that. So I just wanted to add that uh, to it. So Thank I, I think you, it- Thank you, it's interesting. The, the, it's, uh, it's hard to have that whole picture of how it all works. Okay, next. Great. Um, here's a chat question from Lorenzo. Do you have any practical advice what to do when you, quote, catch yourself in a tempest of anxiety or a bushfire of prapancha, thought after thought? The negativity basically seems to push the worried ego to the foreground. What might be a good, straight, um, straightforward way to help kind of snap out of that, similar to what Andrew's one breath meditation was? Mm -hmm. That is interesting, and actually, thank you, because it reminded me of something that I wanted to talk about, and that is um, doing Tonglen for ourselves when we do the, that, that self. Sometimes um, what I noticed was if I was angry, I, would, I don't like being angry, but I would, take, I would try to breathe that in and not want to let go of it. And it was like, no, no, I, I have a cause here. I have a righteous cause. I, 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 I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose the anger. I want to. I want to stay angry. And it's very interesting to see that little dynamic going on. Saying, okay, what is it? And and so traditionally, um, as part of the Mahayana practice, when anything anything happens. Uh, you, you turn and look at yourself and say, what is it about me that's, that's the issue here? What is, what is it about me that wants to hold on to this anger? Um, I remember uh, Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche, the head of the Nyingma school um, at the time, uh, said, uh, you can be like a lion or a dog in relating with your own emotions. Um, when a, a person throws a stick at a dog, the dog chases the stick. When a person throws a stick at a lion, the lion chases the person who threw the stick. So uh, relating with emotions and trying to block or, or get rid of the, uh, or indulge in, either way, suppress or indulge in the emotion is like the dog chasing the emotion, chasing the stick. The lion, being like a lion, is saying, where is that coming from in me? Where, what am I, what's going on that I'm generating that particular uh, attachment or aversion, that particular love or hate, that particular anger? And so it's an interesting practice to work with that and work with the Tonglen in, in which you are breathing in that anger and saying, you know, 
and again, this is kind of goes with what Courtney was saying, not fighting it or trying to be perfect about it, but oh, how much of that anger am I willing to transform? That's interesting. And how much is, am I feeling stuck on that and not wanting to let go? And why do I need to hold on to that anger for me? And is, is it to benefit myself or to benefit others? Like, like Peter was asking. So that's an interesting question. I, I just wanted to, to toss that out, um, that I experienced that. I went, whoa, not so, I, I, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and it was kind of pro forma, but this time the anger did not want to, want to be transformed. <laughs> interesting. Now, um, this question of uh, the fire, and I actually created something called Stop, Drop, and Breathe. And when, you're, when your clothes catch on fire, you're supposed to stop, drop, and roll. So when your mind is on fire with these thought after thought, stop. So you, you cut the storyline by dropping into your body and awareness of your body and awareness of the tension and aware, just, just tuning into the body and then and, and one of my sayings is breathe it down and feel the ground. You know, if you're, if you're in a pool, swimming in a pool, and you want to let yourself sink to the bottom, you breathe all the air out. And you sink down. In the same way, if you want to get out of this fire racing in your head, breathe it down and really feel yourself sink into the ground. And that's like the one breath meditation, stop, drop, and breathe. So in, in the chat, you, you, Lorenzo, you wrote, um, you realize this and wish that you could get out of the anxiety and negativity, but trying to get out of it, don't try to, don't try to, don't indulge it, don't suppress it. By just um, kind of leaning into it, and experiencing the texture of it. And Pema talks about this a lot. Drop the storyline and feel the texture of the emotion without the storyline. Then it, it, it um, cuts the momentum. Because that's what you're really trying to do, cut the momentum. And stop, drop, and breathe cuts the momentum that way. I hope that's helpful. Next question. Uh, can I answer Courtney? She asked about the house. Sure. Mind is the house the monkey is in. Uh, okay. Can be. Sure. The monkey, the monkey is the perceiving minds. And, and it's one monkey, but sometimes it's talk about different perceiving. We have the um, visual perceiving mind, but if we think of it as just perceiving mind, the monkey is perceiving mind that perceives all these six different kinds of perceptions. It sometimes gets broken down into many, many more, 
but these are the six basic kinds of perceptions. Okay. And and you you asked if monkey is preoccupation. No, not really. It's just that it's a monkey because it jumps from one to another to another to another to another. Could be a rabbit. Could be a grasshopper. It's just a metaphor. It's just a metaphor. Okay, what's next? All right. Uh, the next question is from Prem. Uh, it's in the chat. It says, uh, Sri Ramana Maharshi also says to bring all the attention to the thought. Ask, quote, who is having the thought? The answer is I. And he says, hereupon, if one inquires, sorry, my dog is crying. That's okay, I got it, yep. You want me to read the rest? I'll finish it, if you don't mind a puppy in the background. Who am I? The mind will go back to its source and the thought that arose will become quiescent. With repeated practice in this manner, the mind will develop the skill to stay in its source. It sounds like we would never be doing anything else but focusing on being inward, not letting the thought take us outward. How to function in life if that were so? Sounds easier than a cave. Uh, that's, that's interesting. Um, thank you, Prem, and thank you for that, that picture you sent uh, to Andrew. Uh, Andrew forwarded it to me of Narayana. Um, okay, so uh, the who is having the thought? And the answer is, I'm having the thought. And then you say, who am I? But then as um, we could say, well, who's asking? You know, there was an, an old uh, uh, TV comedy where guys got separated in a haunted house and one made a sound and the other one said, who's that? And the other one said, who's that who said, who's that? And the other one said, who's that who said, who's that who said, who's that? <laughs> And so it just goes all the way back to there's nobody there saying anything. And that's what he means by mind goes back, back to its source. When you say its source, it's not a thing. When mind goes back to its source means mind just uh, rests in its true nature. And its true nature is potentiality out of which everything arises. So it, it's not a thing. It is a potentiality. Now, when you say with this repeated practice in this manner, as soon as mind rests in its own nature, everything is included. So it's not inward. To say it's source, you're, what, what I think you got from that was, you keep going in, 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 as if there's something to go into. And as, as if there's an ultimate little, little room in there, little cave inside there where you found the source, like Aladdin's lamp. And that, that is part of um, you know, myth, that there's this hidden treasure, that if only I could find it, everything would be okay. But in, in fact, there, there is no source as a thing and there's no place that it exists. So the source is the true nature of mind, dharmakaya, potentiality, whatever word you want to use. Then mind develops the skill to rest 
in it, instead of source, just substitute in its own natural state. And the, the natural state of the mind is like the ocean. And the thoughts that appear in the mind are like the waves appearing on the surface of the ocean. Are the waves separate from the ocean? No. Are they the same as the ocean? Yes and no. It's not something we have in our conceptual mind, but it w it's not easier in a cave because there's no cave and there's no inward. What's in and what's out if it's all illusion? So, so rather than thinking it's inward and, and the thought is taking us outward, in fact, maybe the thought's taking us inward and we lose track of everything outward, you see? So instead, source doesn't mean a place or a thing. It's rest in the true nature of mind, which is open to everything that's arising. No, no thing whatsoever, but it gives rise to everything. That's in the lineage supplication, Kagyu lineage supplication. Thank Prem, you. Prem has her hand raised for a follow-up, so. Ooh, yeah. Let me call on Prem. <laughs> Hi, Joseph. Thank you so Hello. much. Hello. I am so glad you enjoyed the photo. Yeah, I was oh, really pleased to discover that in our archives. Um, so I'm I'm trying to really absorb what you just said here, and what if you absorb it. Where are you putting it? <sighs> See? Yeah. I'm just just where I'm where trying to, I'm, try, I'm trying to grok. I'm so confused on. <laughs> <laughs> because you know Andrew has been saying sort of on a regular basis that like fruition of our practice is when awareness prefers itself rather than any external object and what I'm what I'm I've been actually meditating on that phrase and I what I keep coming up with is in meditation, I kind of get that because I'm being more indrawn, you know, is what I think theoretically. And I'm just trying to, you know, just be in either shamatha or vipassana or whatever and watch the thoughts and all that. But in my non, unfortunately, yes, there's a, <laughs> I distinguish in my non-meditation time when I'm doing other things, my mind is always on external objects. And so what I was getting confused with what, what Sri Ramana said was that the more and more the thought can be in, you know, inward and directed to source, which yes, I get exactly what you're saying to nature of mind, then it's like he's saying, then the ego will be sucked back into nature of mind, will dissolve. It will just literally, and that's what the dawning of self-realization is. Then you get that, you know, nature of mind and there's nothing different, all that. But I just don't know what to do with this distinction. My brain is doing okay. outer external thought mm -hmm. and awareness. What does it mean when awareness prefers itself? Okay, so let's take what Andrew said. Awareness okay. prefers itself. In other words, awareness rests in its own nature. Yeah. And, and when he says external objects, he doesn't mean outside your body. Oh, okay. He means 
anything other than its own, its anything other than its own nature. So it, in other words, um, if a, uh, uh, let, let's say a, um, you have, I mean, uh, the metaphor I gave was the ocean and the waves. Uh, and the, the wave comes up and you think, oh, that's who I am. And you lose track of the ocean. But, you know, I'm not real yeah. satisfied with that metaphor. The yeah. idea is, you see, um, thoughts arise and perceptions uh, appear it, and we latch onto them. Right. Okay. And it's the latch, that, that's what he's saying. It's the latching onto them and then we lose track of that true nature. I see. Okay. So what he's saying, awareness prefers its, its own nature rather than attaching to something other. I see. Okay. That it's was the part I was missing, I think. Yeah. yeah so, so, so if you uh, see a shiny object, ooh, is that a diamond? And, and you create a whole universe around the diamond. What could yeah. I do with that? I could do something, I could do this. And then I'd be, if, I, if there are more of these, I could be rich and you create a whole thing. You have moved into a whole another fantasy realm. I see. But you can rest in the nature and the diamond appears for what it is. So the true nature is resting in that state in which you see things as they are. Rather than did you ever, um, if you have a Mac kind of computer and it has a dock where you have all the icons lined up? Yeah, I do. If you put your cursor over one of them, it gets big and all the others get small. Yeah. And so you've distorted how things actually are by mm -hmm. attaching to one of those things and everything else disappears. Mm -hmm. So That's when we talk about resting in the true nature, when, when you can rest in that, then things can arise without disturbing you. God. Without disturbing that awareness. And now when you said ego dissolves into that, yeah. that's as if ego is like this uh, lump of sugar <laughs> that then dissolves. But ego is an illusion. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's like uh, the, like the Northern Lights. Mm. They're not there. Mm -hmm. They're just a, an atmospheric thing. They're not solid. And so do illusions ever appear? Like, like a rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting because it seems like he's indicating that, that, that at some point, that with continued practice, mm -hmm. um, those illusions will then sort of dissolve, disappear, and they won't be there anymore. It only will be just like pure awareness. Which like, is, so, so that is, we have this idea that this pure awareness is like a, uh, a universe-sized bowl of jello. <laughs> and I'm wondering, what color is your jello? <laughs> Rainbow. <laughs> uh, okay, see? Now immediately you have colors to it. 
Now, what that means is this part of the jello is blue and that part of the jello is red. That means they're not just one, you see? So yeah. we're not trying, it doesn't, everything doesn't dissolve into some homogenous, you know, like, like, like a um, sensory deprivation experience where you're in a tank of salt water and ping pong balls over your eyes and there's <laughs> nothing. No, no, no. It allow. you see, uh, thank you for bringing this up because this is what I was, someone asked me about emptiness and says, so how do you just clear your mind? So there's nothing there. That's not what emptiness is. Mm. Emptiness is empty of fixation on one or another, empty of attachment to one part or another. When it's really empty, it's full of everything. As Thich Nhat Hanh presented, emptiness is total interdependence, interbeing is what he called it. Mm. So that everything's included. You know, it's the metaphor of, it, do you see the, uh, the cloud in this piece of paper? Then on the rain and the trees and the farmer and the lumberjack and everything's in that piece of paper in the whole universe. The only thing that's not in that piece of paper is paper. <laughs> it's a conceptual designation of this um, momentary arising of causes and conditions into that momentary appearance. Mm. And then if you, but if you have a book, well, there's paper in the book. There's only one thing missing and that's book, which is a conceptual designation for that particular momentary rising of causes and conditions. You see, so ultimately, it's not a blank dead emptiness like outer space or vacuum. It's empty of any one-sidedness and therefore everything's there. Mm. But when you rest in that true nature of awareness, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, terrific. Thank you so much, Joseph. That's wonderful. Great. Wow. That went fast for me. I hope it wasn't too boring for all of you. Um, thank you for uh, a lot of comments. Um, Andy, are you still there? Uh, yes, I am. I just had to turn off my video stream. I understand. Okay. So, um, is that is that pretty much it? Yeah, we went through all the questions and uh, raised Thank hands. Thank you, everybody, so much. I really appreciated everything. You guys were great. You guys were great. And and let's dedicate the merit. So I'll say I'll say part of it, and you can repeat after me. May the practice we've just done be of benefit to others as well as ourselves. And what I like to say at the end of my sessions is, is if you're feeling particularly generous, and Peter, you can practice this one, if you're feeling particularly generous or want to generate or develop that generosity, may the practice I've just done be of even more benefit to others than myself. And great teachers would say, may all the, may all the merit of the practice I've just done be of benefit to others rather than myself. But for, for us, we should take some of that merit so that it helps us with our 
practice we can continue to be benefit of. So thank you all for participating for the benefit of others.